This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 315, and tonight, get ready to laugh your ass off because you are cordially invited to spend the weekend with the world's greatest detectives in the world's spookiest mansion trying to solve the most fiendish murder for the chance to win $1 million because we are discussing Neil Simon's 1976 murder mystery comedy spoof. Murder by death. And to do that, I am delighted to be joined by the divine Miss Kristen Petty from the Killing Your Darlings podcast. <laughs> but before we go a step further, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and since 2010, I've been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But you, yes, you, are going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. <laughs> So what has been going on in Scream Queen's headquarters since last we chatted? Well, I got to tell you, I am fully vaccinated. Yay! I got my second Moderna shot on Monday, and I have to tell you, there were 12 hours there that were pretty rough. They were pretty rough. That night, I couldn't sleep. I had a terrible headache. Started to have a fever, night sweats, terrible nightmares when I could sleep. It was bad. Did it stink? Yes. Was it worth it? Absolutely. It was a small price to pay for a big step forward. On the other hand, bum bum smoochy watchy out of the debt. What's going on with that cat? She's still not doing good. She's still not doing good. She had that emergency room visit just before the pin episode came out, and she's still not okay. She's still pooping all over the place, and we don't know what's wrong. She's uh, on a course of antibiotics still. But when this one runs out, we're going to have to do more diagnostic tests to... Find out more dire consequences. So please, any loving, healing energy you got, please send them for Miss Mochi, who's giving me the evil eye right now because I'm disturbing her nap. <sighs> yeah, you're going to look at me like that when you just pooped on my bed? Really? 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 Rude. Rude. The other big news is that it's my birthday! Yay! Yay! And I had to spend it alone last time. Turning 50 during a pandemic, during quarantine... When you're at the epicenter, the world epicenter of the disease was absolutely miserable. And I'm not doing that again. So I'm determined to do something cool this, uh, this Saturday. And I don't know what that is yet, but I'm going to do it. And I'm not doing it by myself. So there, nah, nah, putting my foot down. Uh, but the other part of my birthday is I'm going to be raising funds. I'm raising funds for Backpacks for the Street. Backpacks for the Street is an organization run by Jeffrey Newman and his husband, Jason Connor. Those of you who have been listening for a while, they won Scream Queens of the Week a while back for the service that they do. They deliver backpacks directly to homeless people on the streets. And the backpacks are filled with all sorts of supplies. Supplies for living, like uh, sleeping bags, tinfoil blankets, food, baby wipes, eye drops, pen, pencil, paper, flashlight, glow sticks, all kinds of things. Socks. And now during COVID, they're also delivering 
COVID supplies and information because that's the other thing that people on the streets are not getting. They're not getting any information about this at all. So there's masks and gloves and sanitizing, wipes and hand sanitizer and information packets on the latest information about the coronavirus. Now, Patrick, I thought you were a big supporter of No Alternatives, helping out the homeless LGBT youth. Yes, I still am. I still am very much so. But the thing is, I've seen with my own eyes homelessness increasing across the boards insanely over the past 14 months. I know people have been kicked out of their apartments, even though they're not supposed to be. There's supposed to be no eviction rule happening, but it's still happening. People are getting kicked out for not paying rent. You know, sometimes they're not on the lease. It's the other roommate sort of thing. And all of a sudden, boom, they're on the streets. In my own little neighborhood, my own little quiet neighborhood, I now see people sleeping in the ATM booths of banks at night. There are tent cities springing up under the overpass for the, or the whatever you call it, where the subway goes over your head. There's, there's tent cities springing up under there all along Queen, Queens Boulevard, right by my house. Every night, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, and there's just more and more of them seemingly every day. When I've gone out with backpacks for the street to help deliver these backpacks, the thing that really surprised me, because we don't just hand them out. It's not just, we'll, we'll go up to people individually and sit down and say, hey, would you like a backpack, and have a conversation and treat them like a human being. And the thing I found out was that an extraordinary number of people on the streets were either veterans or transgender. Way too high. So... I'm not turning my back on new alternatives at all. It's just that I see a bigger problem right now. And you know what? I'm not doing a great job of explaining this. So why don't I let Jason and Jeffrey explain what they do by playing this clip of when they're on CNN talking to Brooke Baldwin. New York City is making major breakthroughs in its fight against the coronavirus pandemic as it enters phase three of reopening today, as we just mentioned. But one group remains especially vulnerable, the homeless population. Since the outbreak, the virus has spread quickly through shelters and among those living on the streets. Jason Connor and Jeffrey Newman co-founded Backpacks for the Streets, a nonprofit organization that provides essential supplies to the city's homeless. And in the months since the pandemic hit, they have handed out almost 5,000 backpacks filled with these key supplies to help spread the infection, help, help you know, stop the spread of the infection. Jason and Jeffrey are with me now. So, gentlemen, thank you both so much for being with me and what an amazing thing you're, you're doing. So, Jason, just first to you. I know that in reading about you, you know, this comes from a personal place. You were homeless for two years. So, so I imagine you're thinking this could have been you. This could have been one's mother, a brother. How, how did that factor into, you know, you, you starting this program? Um, it hit me really hard because I know that if I was on the streets, I don't know what I would do because um, the way I got off the streets is because I met him. And I was lucky um, because he reached out his hand and let me, you know, he helped me get off the streets. And I just don't know, nobody is helping out anybody on the streets right now. They look at people that are on the streets like they're, they're lepers or they have these the worst diseases in the world. And I just don't know. You know, I don't, I don't even know how to explain my feelings. It's very, it's very hard because so many of the people out there right now feel invisible and they feel like they're like they nobody cares. And now with COVID, people are treating the homeless even worse than they did before. Before, you know, they already felt invisible and unwanted, but now it's like they're they're diseased and even less wanted. It's and magnified. Less, you know, yeah, it is. And it, 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 to, to hear the emotions from people, you know, when I see the people, sometimes I think about if this was him, you know, 16 years ago, I would hope somebody would help him out there. And, and I wouldn't have made it. So really, you know, and there just aren't people out there doing as much as they can to try to help the people out there. So, so in terms of how you're helping, talk to me about these backpacks and what's in the backpacks. 
Each backpack has about 45 to 50 items in it, um, ranging from toiletries like uh, razors, shaving cream, deodorant. There's hand sanitizer in every single one. There's antibacterial wipes. There is um, regular baby wipes uh, when they need to be able to take a shower and they can't. Um, Peanut butter and jelly, tuna fish. Um, there's also little snacks like um, uh, Slim Jims, because if they don't have teeth, they can suck on it for protein. There's tuna fish, you said it. Um, but First aid kits, sewing kits, pen, pads, flashlights, things that we took for granted. People think, you know, pad and pen, but someone's a homeless and they get nothing to do. Pen and pad actually makes a lot, a big difference to them. And um, eye drops. Eye drops. I don't know. We just added eye drops lately because Mount Sinai had donated them, and they love them. I don't know. Every single people, every, excuse me, every single person we hand out um, eye drops to, they love them. I mean, I don't know. It's like These backpacks, no, it, it sounds like you've really thought through, been very intentional about you know, what the needs of these men and women on the street uh, is and are, and, are, and are helping them out. For people who are watching you two, you know, and are thinking, how can I help them give back? How can people get involved? Go to our website, bfts.org, um, Backpacks for the Street, um, donate. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, we, we started this two and a half years ago and originally, you know, we started this because the whole idea of the program is that it gives hope to people. This isn't, you know, this isn't going to cure homelessness. You know, we have other programs that we're launching that will be the that are solution oriented. We will, we will sit down with people and meet with them and get them help and get food stamps, get them shelter, get them housing, get them whatever they're, you know, if they have HIV positive, or if they're, they're pregnant or what the case may be, we'll help them find programs suited for them. Um, but this is about getting hope. This is about saying, hey, we see you, we care, and somebody's out there trying to help you. And um, one of the great things is we got a, a, a grant from the TJ Maxx Foundation, and that allows us now to go and give refills on every backpack. Every, say, two weeks, we will go and refill all the supplies, whether it's you know the three pairs of socks or it's the food or it's the other items, uh, we go out there. It's wonderful. Um, we just wanted to what, we just wanted to make sure we were highlighting exactly you know what what you two need. I just want to say it again: bfts.org. Oh, I got you. Amazon wish list. Amazon. Wish I got list. you. I got you. Um, Jason and Jeffrey, thank you. Bless you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. So as a birthday present to me, I encourage you to please donate to this fabulous organization. You can do that in one of two ways. You can either go to www.screamqueens.com slash backpacks, and that will redirect you to the Backpacks for the Streets website, or you can go to screamqueens.com slash backpacksfb, which will take you to my personal Facebook fundraising page. And those links are right down there in the show notes. So use them. Okay, so it's just about time for me to bring on Kristen Petty and start the show for real this time. I do want to take a moment to remind you that this was recorded on March 16th. It was the day before the shootings in Atlanta, which is why I decided to bump the episode. Because had we had the discussion about the movie on May 17th or 18th, we it would have gone in a very different direction. Or at least we would have addressed what happened. So we're not being blind to the situation. It wasn't on the table at the time. However, the tragedy in Atlanta made me think further about the things that we said in the show. So we'll get into that in the after show. Blah, blah, blah. Patrick's babbling, which means it's time to shut up, bring on Kristen Petty, and start talking about murder by death. I don't feel good about this. There's a number on the wall for all of us, Angel. Neil Simon's Murder by Death. Meanwhile, a short...
short, sinister man who looks exactly like Truman Capote is preparing a diabolical weekend for the greatest detectives in the world. Sidney Wang. Don't I think, Pop? Perfect place for a murder. Conversation like a television set on honeymoon. Unnecessary. Dick and Dora Charleston. Dear, would you walk mile in the other way? My leg tends to look like a tree in this fog. Sam Diamond. I think we picked ourselves a queer bird, Angel. Anything else? He has no pinkies. No pinkies? You mean Twain has only got eight fingers? No, no, he's got ten. He just doesn't have any pinkies. As we join them, our five clue persons and their faithful companions are trapped in a mysterious old mansion where a fiendishly ingenious crime is about to take place. The victim is here at this very table at this very moment. And so too, ladies and gentlemen, is the murderer. It's most stupid theory I ever heard. <laughs> One of us is a mad killer, not to be trusted. I hope he knows how to stop that thing. Returning to the kitchen... Who are you? ...the blind butler encounters the dumb cook. Oh, you must be the new kitchen maid. Then what has happened to the butler? The cook! Where's the cook? Two minutes to midnight. Gunshots, monsieur. Gunshots, pop. Gunshots, Sam. Gunshots, Dickie. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I like it, but do not understand it. That can only mean one thing. And I don't know what it is. It means, are these five monumental minds any match for... Murder by death. Eileen Brennan. Truman Capote. James Coco. Peter Falk. Alec Guinness, Elsa Lanchester. The murderer is... David Niven. <laughs> Peter Sellers. Maggie Smith. Nancy Walker. Estelle Winwood. And Myron. Who is the one who done it in the number one who done it? Neil Simon's new comedy, Murder by Death. So I am very excited about this episode because it covers one of my favorite subgenres of movies, and that's the old dark house spooky mystery movie. And this one just happens to be a comedy, and it's one of my favorite comedies. So it seems only right to have one of my favorite people here to talk about it with me. So without any further ado, she is the co-host of the Killing Your Darlings podcast. She is a fabulous actor, singer, director, producer, you name it, she got it on. And she's also smart and she smells good. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNCs, wherever you may be, please put your hands together for Kristen Betty! Thank you so much. Hello, hello, hello. I'm very happy to be here, always. Uh, hello, darling. It's so wonderful to see you. Divine. Absolutely <laughs> divine. <laughs> Both of us is dressed up for the occasion because it's a fancy movie. <laughs> it is a fancy movie. It I satisfies went, I went a lot of my costuming desire boxes. So Thank you. Yeah. I went David Niven. You're kind of just, you're, you're definitely in the Agatha Christie realm. You wrote stories with this detective duo, Tommy and Tuppets. You're definitely Tuppets because they were party kids when they were young. They were crazy. And that's totally you. 
I was trying for something that was a, a little more like, um, you know, Miss Marbles or <laughs> Eileen Brennan. <laughs> you would have to have rented your dress for that to work out. It's true. It's true. Yeah, so, Kristen, how are you doing? What's going on? Where's Dan? Where's Dan? <gasps> um, I have him currently locked up in the dungeon. He's good. Been a very <laughs> bad boy. That's a good place for him. He's probably happy because there's no nature in there. Yeah, like, I mean, he's probably also like, oh, this is my dream. It can do a real live Dungeons and Dragons campaign in here. You know, a really good trap would be right over the... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. You're absolutely, you're absolutely exactly. right. No, uh, he's, um, he's actually just, he's in the throes of doing uh, grad school and getting his master's degree. So he's been kind of stuck doing a lot of that work. You may actually uh, see him pop in. He's, he's currently using our oven to cook a... You know, an experiment for class, and he needs to well, like okay. document so what, it. Okay, so now I know. Now I know to just give this audio file to the police. <laughs> explosion happens. Yeah, sure thing. Okay, uh huh. All right, good thing. Good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, no, so that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry Dan can't be here, but honestly, Kristen, I gotta tell you something. This has all been a long con. <gasps> Ever since the day I met you, I've been waiting to get you alone so I can tell you. <laughs> <gasps> I have never been homosexual. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's all been a trap to lure you here alone. No, no, please. <laughs> yes, I did this whole 12-year plot. <laughs> I mean, that's the longest con. So <laughs> the whole podcast is a lie. I don't even like horror movies. All those tricks I picked off the internet, lies. <laughs> I mean, talk about your romantic gestures, though. Thank you. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I but tried. I'm deeply flattered. I'm deeply flattered. Thank you. You shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Really? Wow. That was a real waste of time. Because, um, ew. <laughs> I, ew. I just think of you as like a friend. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, um, you're like nice, but <laughs> please tell us about what killing your darling the podcast is all about for those who don't know. Sure. And yes, I am having a Manhattan. Oh yes, absolutely. It's it goes with the outfit. It goes with the outfit. It's meant to be. Killing Your Darlings is a nostalgia podcast where my husband Dan and I go back and watch movies that we haven't seen since we were young, impressionable youths and rewatch them as adults and figure out what it was about them that made them so appealing to us at the time. So, yeah, we've been we just did um Weird Science. Weird Science was the one yes. that Dan and I did together. Yeah. I was so happy. I know. I was so excited was to get a so message happy. from you. I love that movie. I love that cast. Um and one of the girls, uh, Judy Aronson, the brunette uh-huh. of the of the teenage girls, longtime friend of the show. Really? Yeah. yeah. Has she you know done what? like a bunch of horror movies and stuff? And does she? Oh, come she was on? in Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So she's like gotcha. so she's technically legend. Oh wow! If you got killed in one of those movies, it's one of the good ones, and you got naked. You're a legend. <laughs> legend. Okay, wait, 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 wait. They're all gonna wear bras in their head. Okay, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're not here to talk about word signs. We're here to talk about murder by death. So, Kristen, as you well know, being a repeat guest of the show, you have a duty to fulfill before we move on. Kristen, I need you to give me a nice, tight 30-second back-of-the-DVD plot summary. No, not even a plot summary. Picture that you're in an elevator and you're, that you have to pitch it to a producer in 30 seconds, and you have to do it in the form of a Gilbert and Sullivan patter song. And the clock starts now. Ooh. Well, back in the day, uh, um, the, the greatest detectives in the world were called together into one mansion in order to solve an unsolvable mystery to determine who is the greatest detective of all time. And there's a $1 million reward, and it's the greatest cast you've ever seen assembled in one place. 
That was great, but it wasn't a Gilbert and Sullivan Patter song. Fail, fail, fail. Sorry. No, no. I tried I've been bringing that on my musical theater guests just to say, like, someday someone's going to be able to do it, and I'll just drop dead on the spot. <laughs> what a skill. Can you imagine if you were just sort of able to be like, I can do anything as a Gilbert and Sullivan Patter song? Josh Krebs from the uh, Bloody Date Night. Him and his wife Liz are on all the time, and he's an improv king, so I really want to spring it on him. Oh, are those our rivals? <laughs> the opposite, the anti-Dan and, and me? <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's Allison and Brian from California. They don't have a podcast anymore. They're pod faders. <laughs> because it's Allison and Brian and Kristen and Dan. A, B, C, D. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm not even drunk yet. And you are absolutely right. This is one of the finest goddamn casts you are ever going to find. Yeah. It's incredible. And rewatching it last night, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot. Oh, my God, I forgot. Oh, my God, I forgot. Like, that this this many great people were in this piece. We're in the same room for 90, for almost the entire movie. You had this room full of brilliant people. Yeah. Every day, for weeks, possibly months. Yeah. On set. On set with Neil Simon every day. With Neil Simon. That's right. Written by, written by American, everything award-winning yeah. playwright. Playwright Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Yeah. When he still did comedies that were just comedies. Right, right. I remember watching this for the first time because I'd never heard of this before. And my sister actually really likes this movie a lot. And she was like, have you ever seen Murder by Death? And I was like, oh, is it some dumb, like, black metal goth thing that you're into? Ah, because like, It sounds like it, does it? That, I mean, there is a band called Murder by Death, and they are like a weird... They're not a death metal band, but they are... I learned that when I Googled. That yeah? was the first thing that came up, not the movie. We have their Christmas album. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. We just bought if it. If it doesn't have James Coco singing, you know, Dominic the Donkey, I'd be very, very sad. Oh, James Coco is so great in this. So my sister... We'll get into the cast in a minute. Yeah. yeah. Please go. Um, so my sister uh, I was like, oh, it's so great. You have to watch it. It's really funny. And so my sister and I have completely opposite tastes in absolutely everything. So I was just like, oh, God, I'm going to fucking hate this so much. And we sat down and watched it. It started, and I was like, oh, so it's an old movie. Like, old, you know, it's 1976. That's not that old. But, um, you know, it, I was like, oh, it's an nice older save. movie. It's, nice it's not save. made in like, the, it's not made in 2004, you know? So I was like, okay, this is, this is, you know, cut some patina to it. Um, I was like, all right, that's old, older. And then I was like, okay, and now wait. So, okay. It's a murder mystery. Like you can tell by like when the music starts and I was like, all right, all right, you know, this kind of thing. And then they start listing the people who are in it and they start listing, oh, it's written by Neil Simon. And I was like, I'm going to love this probably. You needed to tell me this before. <laughs> How long have you known me? How long have you known me? It was crazy. And her husband loves it too, who is not like, he's not like a, a theater guy in any way or anything like that. Like, and he, was, he loves it. There's nothing theater about this. It's very much a movie. Like it would be impossible to do this on stage. It would be because of all the, the set flipping. The room changes and stuff. The room yeah. changes. Yeah. 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 I, it just, it amazed me. And I remember watching it and being like, this is hysterical. And specifically, the, the one that I remember the most is James Cromwell, because he has a small role. His first movie role. Something is not right in all of this, huh? I can feel it in my buns. You know what? In my buns. Buns? Yeah, buns. You bought buns and you didn't get me? Where are they? Where are the buns? Oh, no, monsieur. The buns in my body. You should not speak with an accent when you know I'm so hungry. It's his first movie, right? It's his okay. first movie, yeah. Yeah. And I was at the time rewatching Six Feet Under for the 10,000th time and was like, oh my God, James Cromwell. Yeah. yeah. 
don't. I, I, it's, yeah. So I just remember sitting and watching it with her and being amazed at how much I really did love it. And I've been wanting Dan to watch it for a long time because I was I like, I know. That's why I picked this for, but Dan has to screw it up. Come on, Dan. I know. He, the, I have he's to be in the kitchen fellow. baking stuff. I see a shadow. I see a Do shadow. See I just saw yeah. a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Even better, you're about to be murdered. He's going to be out here in a second. Toby. If we were in the movie, you were about to be murdered. <laughs> 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 this creepy shadow across the, across the glass for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've wanted him to watch it because I think this kind of has like a lot of that. It has such a Neil Simon flavor to it. It's got all of that old, snappy, like quick, you know, moving dialogue in it that is so it it it, it just permeates so much uh, of what is written in theatrical comedy. And I, yeah. you know, I'm always like trying to tell Dan, like, oh, it's like a Neil Simon thing, and he's like, I don't know what that means. So I kind of want him to watch that and, you know, and see and get a firsthand example. Oh, Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Dan. No. Oh well, his loss, his loss, his <laughs> loss. Well, no, I mean, you got a copy now. You can you can make him watch it anytime you want. I know, and it's an hour and a half. It's like it's a quick, perfect. it's a quick little, it's a quick little trip. I, we're like obsessed with movies that are like an hour and a half, an hour forty minutes. Because when you get to the two hour mark, it's like, oh, all right, I've been here for a while. Especially me during quarantine now, like my attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. It's very difficult for me to get through any kind of movie. I've been having trouble watching horror movies in general because they start to bum me out. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I just it rings a bell of something that's going on in the world. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. So the horror movies that I'm watching are the ones that I've seen a million times because I know how they end. So it's, it's so I don't get upset about anything. Right. No. But yeah, but it's the same thing with other movies too. It's like this probably is a great movie, but I just cannot focus on it. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. yeah. Anyway, great story, cool story. So Patrick <laughs> can't pay attention, but I paid attention for this one. I paid attention so well that I can't even read my goddamn notes. So we are <laughs> flying free kids. <laughs> I saw this for the first time. It aired on NBC. Oh, I meant to. Well, it doesn't matter because it's an audio podcast, but I wanted to show you. I actually was cleaning last week. What? Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal. Congratulations. Well, no, I was going through those drawers that you never open and you don't yep. know what's in them anymore. And I found a scrapbook that I kept when I was a kid, like a little kid. And I cut out the whole like newspaper. It was a whole full page ad of it being in the paper. It was that it's the uh, that pop up. Illustration that's at the beginning, which was done by legendary illustrator Charles Adams, uh, creator of the Adams Family. I don't know why I kept that, but I kept it. It was made a big impression on me. And also, there's an. Did you watch the additional scene I sent you? Ah, no, I did not. Get, I did not. I forgot that you sent it literally until I went to go sign on, and I was like, crap, I didn't watch the final scene. You're the biggest loser. But yeah, I the the TV print has an additional scene in it. Yes, which I read. A, end, I, yeah, which we'll come to when we get to the end. Mm-hmm. But when I watch the DVD or the theatrical version. The movie doesn't feel finished. Okay. It doesn't have a button. Because that's like, it, it, does it come in at the end, like when it was theatrically released? Does it come in after the credits? It came in, it, it fought when, when everybody's leaving and, and Detective Wang and his son are driving away, they run into somebody else on the road and then it comes back to the house for the finale. All right, let's talk about this cast because this cast is absolutely insane. Amazing cast. And it. it I don't even know where to start. I'm alphabetical Eileen Brennan. Lionel Twain has one interesting physical characteristic. He has no pinkies. No pinkies? You mean Twain has only got eight fingers? No, no, he's got ten. He just doesn't have any pinkies. You did your homework good, Angel. Thanks, Sam. Where'd you dig up all that stuff? Oh, I wrote to Twain and asked him. Good thinking. Seriously, yeah. Okay, Eileen Brennan, yeah. 
Private Benjamin, she's on Will and Grace, Seventh Heaven, Jeepers Creepers, Clue, Clue Miss Yeah. yeah. Uh, and for horror fans, she was in a pandemonium, of course, Jeepers Creepers, Last Picture Show, incredible career. And I just realized looking at this, she worked on both Seventh Heaven and Jeepers Creepers, both of which had people who were pedophiles. Oh, working on yeah. Who were the, guy the who pedophiles? Directed, the guy who directed um, Jeepers Creepers is a convicted pedophile. Whoa! And the, the guy who played the dad in Seventh Heaven came out and said he was a pedophile, which oh. is why the show went off the air. Yes, I do remember that. What's going on, Eileen? Yeah, like I do remember that whole thing coming out, that Seventh Heaven thing, and being like, I knew it. That was just too fucking squeaky clean, man. And like he was in some creepy like. Um, movie of the week thing with Carrie Russell where she was the babysitter and like he seduced her or something like that and I was like I knew that guy was bad I knew mm. he was bad after that movie <sighs> and just let me make it clear we're not throwing shade on Eileen Brenner insinuating that she is a pedophile or is a pedophile enabler in any way she just had the misfortune of working with two of them it, it can happen to anybody just because there's more of them than you think they are evidently anyway back to fun thing James Coco James Coco as, as, as the uh, Hercule Poirot spoof, Milo Perrier. Milo Perrier. I am Monsieur Milo Perrier. My chauffeur was injured by a falling gargoyle while standing outside in Chinese footprints. We rang the bell. A woman screamed. A mouse ran by us through the door. As you can plainly see, I miss nothing. Since we cannot call for a doctor, I will need a cold compress for my chauffeur. And a cup of hot chocolate for me. Nespa? I don't think we have Nespa, sir. Just Hershey's. <laughs> I didn't even remember Perrier being around in 1976, so that was an advanced joke. Yeah. He's my favorite. Yeah, he's great. On repeat viewing, just, there's the outrageous French accent. Yes, yes, Between yes. him and Marcel, his butler, James uh, James, James Cromwell, yeah. It's just so good. It's just so good. Hello, hello, hello. I am saying hello, hello. <laughs> this line has been snippet. This line has been snippet. It has been freshly snippet. Just outrageous. 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 And there has been lots of speculations that James Coco was gay. It was never confirmed. Okay. I might cut this out. All right. I know he was. You know for sure. I've met him many times. Okay. When I was a young gay, I had the two older gays who adopted me. Never a sexual thing. They taught me my gay culture, my gay history. They just... They... they with my bridge from being like stupid young gay kid to a well-rounded gay man like how to function in gay society which you know we didn't know back in the 80s it wasn't like now right right no and we many times met their friend jim who lived in the greenwich village with his partner jack of like 17 19 years something like that oh. and i knew me i'm like that's james coco but they didn't say that so i'm not gonna say anything it was after three or four times that we met them at a bar i'm like that's james coco isn't it and they said how do you know who james coco is i'm like i'm learning okay yeah <laughs> i mean the student has surpassed Become the teacher the master yeah that's right that's right grasshopper <laughs> but yeah he never he never confirmed it but what a funny guy uh he was in the man of la mancha movie at murder she wrote step for children horror I mean, he did a lot of stuff he came up in yeah. He's a theater guy, right? Isn't he? Mostly a theater guy. Yeah. Mostly a theater guy. And he became a, a chef. Like uh, He put out a whole lot of cookbooks at towards the end of his life. And you know when this is funny? I watched this. He was always cast as the fat guy. He was considered the fat guy. <laughs> Which I kind of find amazing because I don't really think of him as being fat. Like he's, he's not. No. 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 Not at all. He's got a round face and I think that was it. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Mm. 
<laughs> I wish I could say more things had changed, you know, a little bit they more, but they, they have not. They haven't. They haven't. They haven't. No. Peter Falk. <laughs> Peter Falk. My school is the streets, and looking down the barrel of a pointed revolver is my teacher. I get $50 a day in expenses when I can get them, gentlemen. And I owe Miss Skeffington here three years and two months back pay. Isn't that right, Angel? I don't care about the money, Stan. Neither do I. Now, if one of you gentlemen would be so kind as to give my lady friend here a glass of cheap white wine, I'm going down the hall to find a can. Talk so much, sometimes I forget to go. Peter Falk also walks away with this movie. He really does. He might be my favorite after rewatching it. I mean, he is my, I mean, they're all my favorite. They're all my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like take, for instance, James Coco as Milo Perrier. His performance is so nuanced and he actually, I mean, because we've, I love murder mysteries. I love Agatha Christie. We've covered a ton of them on the show. His portrayal of this particular spoof of this detective that Peter Ustinoff gives in Evil Under the Sun. Okay. Like five years later. Like five okay. years later. All right. Which, by the way, if you've never seen it, it's the gayest murder mystery ever. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like right up my alley. No, it's, it's a whole bunch of people on an island, and they're all in some way involved in musical theater. Okay. So it's a bunch of theater cunts just sniping each other for two hours. It's wow. <laughs> and half the cast of this is in that. So you know, Mag- Maggie Smith is in it. Maggie Smith is in Maggie it. Maggie Smith. <laughs> Where's my dickie? Sorry, where's my husband? What did we do to deserve Maggie Smith? I don't know. She is truly like, like a, for me, just kind of like a goddess sent down from above to show us all how it's supposed to be done. So it's funny you mention that because we just covered a movie that she did uh, on the show back in uh, November. We covered Clash of the Titans when she actually was a goddess sent from above to show us all how it's done. Yes, girl. (laughs) Yes, girl. Also, she was stunningly beautiful as a young woman. Oh my gosh, if you only know her now from Downton Abbey, you need to like watch this movie. You need to see her Othello. She is radiantly gorgeous. She's so beautiful. Like, I mean, it's, and like, I just can't get enough of watching her. And she's, to be that beautiful and that brilliant at the same time, it just kind of, like, it just blows my mind. To milk every word for every bit of dry humor is just stunning. Yes. Just stunning. Yes. I, for, or, or to be doing like really cheap comedy. Like it's Neil Simon. Neil Simon is full of cheap comedy. It's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Catskill. Well, yeah. Catskills, vaudeville, Catskills all that. Yeah. Like when she's like, come in. Like, oh, he's deaf. She's deaf. She can't. Oh, the maid's knocking at the door. She goes, come in. I'm playing the audio for this. Oh, that's probably the cook. Come in. Darling, the poor woman is stone deaf. I'm sorry. I forgot. Come in. Oh, she's deaf. She can't hear. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Come in. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Which do okay? So do you remember this? This is a deep cut. Um, the Lowe's theaters back in like the eighties and nineties used to play that that super cut of like a bunch of different little scenes yes, from movies. Absolutely, that was yeah. one of them. Nobody do nothing. I gotta go to the can again. Nobody move. Stay where you are, everybody. What is it? I have to go to the can again. I don't want to miss nothing. I don't, yeah, exactly <laughs> that one, and and also heard saying the come in like that really loud like that. It's I. And I had no idea. This is the thing. When I watched it with my sister, I was like, I didn't know that's what that was from. I also didn't know that that was Maggie Smith. And just like, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. things going off. And I go, what? Yeah, okay. We'll be here all night if we just stay on the couch. Elsa uh, Lanchester. Elsa Lanchester. <gasps> yes. I'm not one to use hyperbole, ladies and gentlemen. But I'll tell you this. For the first time in my life, I had the caca scared out of me. Which I know her from 
being the bride of Frankenstein. That's how the I know of Frankenstein. Who she is. Yeah, and she also traumatized you for the first five minutes of Mary Poppins because that whole movie was a trauma for you. And we're not going to talk about that because everyone will turn on you. I know. <laughs> we'll turn on you. Talk about an unpopular opinion. <laughs> Kristen and Dan did not like Mary Poppins. Kristen and Dan are bad people. That's why I like them. We're monsters, apparently. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're not even people. You are monsters. We are monsters. But you're adorable monsters. I mean, if you're going to be a monster, that's the way you should do it. You should subsume it underneath all of these layers of quirk. Of adorable. <laughs> Aww. Like Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> they're palm scum. Aww. Aww. So cute. <laughs> okay. Elsa Lanchester. Yeah. Elsa Lanchester had one character and this is it and it's used perfectly. There's like she's the straight person. Yeah. For most of this. Yeah. Like the straight comedy person. Yeah. Just this loud, overly British British woman. And she's adopted this like Winston Churchill bulldog puss on her face for the whole movie. It's great. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. So that when she goes off of that, it's very funny. Like she's like, we're in deep caca. Yep. Uh, well, I don't think I have to tell you. I've <laughs> I felt like I was in deep caca. Yeah. Thank you. She can't just say caca. It's caca. <laughs> but yes, but she, uh, she she had a great horror career too. Besides that, she was in Terror in the Wax Museum. She was in Willard, working with Disney. That darn catch is in one of my favorite spooky old movies, spooky comedies, uh, Bell, Book, and Candle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, Peter Falk, we didn't talk about it. One of the other great connections to this movie is how many people wind up in the Great Muppet Caper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would include Peter Falk. And we didn't go into his career, but he, uh, his, his movie, The In-Laws, is one of my favorites. The Serpentine. In-Laws is great. Serpentine. Serpentine shell. Serpentine. <laughs> Serpentine shell. Mad, 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 mad world. Of course, he was Columbo. And he only had one eye. Uh, yeah, he had a glass eye, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I looked this up. Yeah. I looked this up because I was like, all right, was he on? Like, it's because to me, all of these characters, since they're supposed to be spoofs of very specific murder mystery archetypes, there's yeah. also a second layer for me in, with some of these because some of these people also played great detectives in their careers. Like Peter Falk was already Columbo. on Columbo when yeah. this happened. So there's something about him playing the hard-boiled Humphrey Bogart-y type uh, detective while he is also, you know, shooting Columbo that is very special to me. <laughs> yeah, he just took Columbo and went off the deep end with comedy. It's the same character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And originally cast in the Maggie Smith role was Myrna Loy, who was Nora Charles in The Thin Man, as in Nick and Nora Charles, who are being spoofed in the movie. And Myrna Loy turned it down because she said, I think it's dumb for me to be playing Dora Charles when I already played Nora Charles. I think it kills the joke. So she turned the movie down. Yeah. Hold on a second. One second. Now I have to be awful. Now I'm being awful. Hey, hello. This is Flendy Gargoyle. It is at this point of the show where Patrick tried to remove Smoochie from the Scream Queen's recording studio because she was, quote-unquote, acting up. Long story short, he got his ass kicked. He got his ass kicked on camera while Kristen watched. It was hilarious. Bitch ate my lunch today, just so you know. <laughs> was it your lunch from the public school? The Your free lunch? No, no, I haven't been doing that for a while. No, but I got I got a Subway sandwich from Subway, and, and I left it for 30 seconds, and I came back, and it was just sandwich everywhere and it was it wasn't even 30 seconds it was 10 seconds and she had gotten out of the plastic bag out of the wrapper had like all the lettuce picked off and had all the turkey pulled off to one side i'm like you are a demon i didn't think you could move that fast fatty that's incredible anyway anyway david niven uh-huh yes you're good charleston you're not my kind of cop but you're smart and you smell good you're not a pansy i know that but what the hell are you 
classy, I suppose. David Evan does the character he always does. Just brilliant. Just dry humor. That dry British humor. Yeah, like professionally British. Yep. Profe- thank you. Professionally British. Professionally droll. Yeah. Like, I would have loved to have seen David Niven and Maggie Smith do private lives. Yes. Yes. Like, he yes, he yes, should yes. be in every Noel Coward play ever, and I'm sure he was. Yes, I'm sure Noel yes. Coward's like, I'm writing this for David Niven from the grave. Specifically for David. Yeah, apparently a real womanizer, too. Yeah, I heard that. I read that online that, like, who was it supposed to be? Myrna Loy? What Myrna Loy was supposed to play uh, his wife, the, the Maggie Smith role. It's like, no. <laughs> She's like, no, I don't want to get my ass grabbed by that pervert. I'm not doing it. Yeah, and, and what's fun, too, is that he was in all the Pink Panther movies. Uh-huh. With Peter Sellers. He was in Death on the Nile, which we covered on the show, another Agatha Christie. Uh, he played old Dracula, which I think is very funny. He got to play Dracula once, but it was old Dracula. <laughs> Nominated for an Oscar for My Man Godfrey and The Moon is Blue, which was considered really pornographic. And it's say, like, nobody would show The Moon is Blue because they said the word virgin in it. Huh. <gasps> or something like that. Yeah. And Casino Royale, he was in a Bond movie. He did everything. Yeah. He's one of those names that I... I I'm not particularly familiar with his specific career, but like if you have a familiarity with classic Hollywood, he's a name that comes up over and over again. One character, but it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are some actors who, who like that is their entire career is like, I just do this one thing. And that's what came totally out of the fine. studio system. Most of these people came out of the studio system. So that was what they were paid to do was pay, play this one character. Absolutely. Just fill the slots in a movie. Yeah. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. One moment, please. Wine poisoned. An ancient, tasteless, colorless, and odorless oriental herb that kills instantly. Observe, please. Which, okay, so this is the Hmm. one that I, I, watching this, I remembered like, oh, doesn't he play a Chinese character? Oh, isn't that like, is that going to be a problematic thing? And I've come to the conclusion that in this, it is not because... He is specifically supposed to be Charlie Chan. Like he's, and Charlie Chan was almost always played by a white person. No, Kristen. Charlie Chan was always played by a white, by a Actually, white no, person. They, they, there was a there TV, are later there was a t- versions, yeah. There was a TV, a TV version in the 70s that lasted for like three episodes where he was played by a, a, a Hawaiian dude. But aside from that, it was always a white guy in Asian makeup talking in fortune cookies. And yes. it's funny because I just on the on my other podcast, Damian Uncle Lewis, the episode that's about to come out, which will already already have come out at this point, uh, Tattoo featured Key Luke, who you would know as the shop owner from Gremlins. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes all the way back. He, one of the founding members of SAG, incredible career, but he was always playing Charlie Chan's son in all the movies. So it was extra weird because you always had this white guy in Asian makeup, speaking in fortune cookies, surrounded by all the other Asian characters were played by Asian people who did not do that kind of stuff. Right. It was really weird. Yeah. And so this is actually a perfect parody of that. Yes. And I understand it is problematic, but if you know that much, at least that I really hope in my heart of hearts that that's where that came from. Right. And yes. Like, isn't it funny? I got to put in fun. I put in dummy teeth and talk ching chong. That's not okay. That's Absol- not okay. Yes. But, some of the some of the Charlie Chans are okay. Like I've I started watching them during the quarantine because I I needed boring things to fall asleep to. Mm-hmm. And most of them are okay. Like one guy, Sydney, somebody I don't have his name in front of me. I'll fix mm. it in post. Toller, Sydney Toller, was just awful. Like fat, and really leaned into it. Some of the other ones were playing it like I'm Chi- I'm Chinese, but I was raised in Britain, so I have other just other things. And just, but no, he just totally let. Ugh. 
Uh, he had like 300 kids and every time there was another movie there was another eight kids it was just gross like everything was gross about it so everything about this particular character does not bother me no. in fact it's like let me have a Japanese he has a Japanese son because mm. yeah because <laughs> that's how it would have been like, eh, whatever it's the same right like I mean that's gotta be in there because Neil Simon doesn't miss a trick you know what I mean like that's, no he doesn't no that's he doesn't the thing is like he put that in there specifically because he was like this is ridiculous right like and the you know I I <sighs> The, the fact that it's written in the jokes about um, use your prepositions, you know, use your pronouns. What meaning of this, Mr. Twain? I will tell you, Mr. Wang, if you can tell me why a man who possesses one of the most brilliant minds of this century can't say his prepositions or articles. The, Mr. Wang, what is the meaning of this? That's what I said. What meaning of this? Why is it that one of the greatest minds in all the world can use his prepositions or his articles? Yeah. So, I mean, it's in there specifically because he's like poking fun at the way this this character was portrayed. And I think if you don't like if you don't have the frame of reference, you could mistake it for being terribly offensive. But I think if you get the reference, then you'll get what's happening there. It occasionally crosses over like some of the stuff that that that. Um Peter Fox says it was like, wow, wow. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just a patsy being set up to take the fall, but I'm not falling for any of you, you understand? Not even me, Sam. Why don't you fall in love with the Jap kid and get off my back? Can we get back to case, please? Time is late, and my eyes are getting tired. I thought they always looked like that. Knock it off, Sam. I apologize. This case is getting on my nerves. I'm sorry, Slandy. Wow, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And just running at the cast, Estelle Winwood, who I did not know previously, but once I started looking through stuff, like, oh, I know who she is now. She was in the producers. She was a uh, Anne Hilda on Batman. She was and An- An- Enchantra on Bewitched. Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Blythe Spirit, another one of my favorite spooky movies. That was a play, and she was in The Magic Sword. What is The Magic Sword? It's a kids' movie from the know, late fifties, early sixties. There's an MST three. I think it. MST3K, possibly a Rift Tracks ah. cover. I, I don't remember which one does it. She plays this old witch with this enormous rack. Like she's got this <laughs> incredible rack. Like, like she's got the rack of a 21 year old. <laughs> it's distracting. <laughs> but, this, but the same face that you saw in, in, <laughs> in Murder by Death. Like, wow. And her role in Murder by Death was supposed to be played by Catherine Hepburn. Yes. I read that as well. And then when she found out Myrna Loy was not doing it, she was like, well, I'm not going to do I'm not anything. doing this if Myrna Loy is not doing it. Right. <laughs> Which I just find. I'm like, yep. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen, I would have loved to have seen Catherine Hepburn during fart jokes. Good God. Yes. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I'm old. No, no. The other kind of gas. The kind that kills. Sometimes my gas. It's seeping in through the vent. Absolutely. Like, or that whole, like, making the making eyes at Peter Falk, you know, when she's holding Quit his it. hand. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop that. Stop it, I said. What is it, Diamond? The nurse has given my palm to finger the dirty old broad. Naughty, naughty, Miss Withers. <laughs> the old lady's giving my giving my hand the middle finger to don't dirty old bird. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> and I only found out recently that Elsa Lanchester and Estelle Winwood hated each other. They had a long-standing Hollywood rivalry thing, you know, like Joan Crawford, Betty Davis type of thing. So they're miserable this whole shoot. Just something to think about. Uh, the other person I did want to make. 
at least mentioned. Uh, rounding at the cast, we have Richard Narita playing uh, Charlie Chan's son, and he didn't. He he worked a lot. I mean, he did. It was kind of sad to see go from this major motion picture, and then all of his other credits are like Chinese guy who owns store. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, for like thirty years, and then he was in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Who is he? I'm sorry. There's the Asian girl on that, and like the, her parents adopted like the white girl, and they love her more. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's the he's oh the dad. Gosh. Oh, he's great. I actually really love him in this. He has kind of a thankless role, but he's got like he has that gee whiz pop thing down like really good. Which is exactly what Key Luke was doing. That's exactly what that role was. And actually, this version is much smarter than Key Luke ever got to play because yeah. that guy's an idiot. He's always he's always trying to solve the mystery himself and fucking everything up. <laughs> Anyway, oh my God, we totally forgot the biggest queen of them all, Truman Capote. Truman Capote. <laughs> who has no business being in a movie, but I love that he's here. You all mistake what you assume. They never left the dining room. Count the numbers one to ten. Turn the knob and try again. <laughs> yeah, I like, okay. So watching this again last night, I was like, all right. I can't figure out why Truman Capote was the choice for this. And then at the end of the movie, when we get to where he's specifically addressing them, I was like, I was like, okay, it makes sense that he is a very, he is a legendary writer and he is addressing them as a writer. As a writer. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's, I mean, that to me is a great joke and a great twist at the end because he, he is having fun, which is, it's fun to watch him, but he's not a, he's not a great actor. No, he's terrible. He's yeah. terrible. It's considered one of the worst performances. And I don't mind it. I, like, I, I see what he's doing community theater stuff, but I don't mind because we got a queen on stage being a queen. I mean, he is living out loud in this, in that. Absolutely. So yeah. I said, rock on with your bad self and your no pinkies. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen, we should be ashamed of ourselves. Oh. We forgot the most important queen of them all. Sir Alec Guinness. Oh, of course. <laughs> Sir Alec Guinness, do we need to say anything else? Do we need to say anything else? Do we need to say anything else? It's Sir Alec Guinness doing comedy, and he's as the blind butler. Brilliant. He is brilliant. He's so funny. Not many people come to the manor these days. It's nice to hear guests again. Thank you. You are? Uh, Benson, Mum. Thank you, Benson. Uh, no, 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 no. Benson, Mum. My name is Benson, Mum. Benson, Mum? Yes, sir. James, sir. Benson, Mum. James, sir? Yes, sir. James, sir, Benson, ma'am? Yes, sir. Howard. My father's name, sir. What was your father's name? Howard. Howard Benson, ma'am. Your father was Howard Benson, ma'am? Leave it be, dear. I've had enough. And I'm watching him as an actor going, the thing he's doing with his eyes, his eyes must have been aching. Aching. <gasps> yes, I thought the same thing. I was like, because oh, my God. Because he's playing the blind butler, James, sir, Benson, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. So, which, that is such a fucking Neil Simon joke. Like that. Oh God! Yeah, I was like, "Oh my God!" Like it's the type of thing that's like uh, makes you groan a little bit, but it's still really funny. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good, and also just the name is fun to say, yeah. which makes it even better. Benzimum, James Benzimum, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a running joke, and it keeps coming back, and it never gets less funny. And he's he's brilliant. This and he's wonderful, and he's naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we yeah, and we forgot Nancy Walker, who plays Yetta, the maid who was also deaf. So you have a blind butler and a deaf maid. What could possibly go wrong? Who, yes, okay. So she's Rhoda's mother, right? Was Rhoda's, she Rhoda's mother. mother. Okay. Rosie, Rosie, the, the, the paper tarot lady, and also but a legendary Broadway comedian. 
before all of that. Yes. She also directed Can't Stop the Music. We won't go into that because we already did that last year or two years ago whenever we did that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She got the contract to, to, to direct Can't Stop the Music, and it was the she was the first woman to ever direct a musical with a budget that big. It was a big Hollywood thing, and she didn't give a shit. Like, she, she didn't give a shit. She hated the movie. She had everybody on it. Well, Kristen, you didn't listen to the episodes. You don't know that in the industry, while the movie was being made, everybody in the industry, like, it was industry standard to refer to the movie as Can't Stop the Cocaine. <gasps> and it shows, like, this movie makes no sense. This movie is brought to you by cocaine. Well, thank you. We've had, we've had a few of those together, haven't we, Kristen? Oh, we, we sure have. have. Yes. We sure have. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so, I mean, the plot of the movie is fairly simple, and it's hard to talk about. Like, I've tried to talk about this movie a couple of times. But I've had Doug Shapiro and Trey Dean on twice to talk about this movie, but I had to scrap both things because we were trying to do it in my normal format, and that doesn't work because yeah. I covered a movie back in March with Michael Howey, which presented a similar problem. We covered this. I'm explaining this to Christian. Uh, Kristen, I know all you know because you already heard the episode, but we did this Irish supernatural comedy called Extraordinary, mm. and it's hilarious, but all the jokes are character based, so nothing translates when you when you when you do. You, there's no lines to spit out that are really zingers, or or there's no like big comic scenes. Oh, you know, like that scene where you know they read the spaghetti, and the spaghetti was really I don't know. I just, the spaghetti started talking. It was none of that shit. No, it was none of that shit. It was just all the smallest stuff. It was. This movie is similar in that all the jokes are verbal. It's all wordplay. Yes. Yes. And they go by like this. It's like airplane. Yeah. Like, I've seen this movie a hundred thousand times, and still there are parts that I just like, oh, God, I forgot that joke. Yeah. Because they go by so fast. You might hit a groaner. You might hit a groaner, but it doesn't matter because three seconds later, there's another joke driving through. But the jokes themselves don't drive the story. They're about the immediate situation. They are literally in the here and now, which is what made talking about the movie with Trey and Doug in my own style impossible because it just turned into a quote off but those quotes don't add up to anything if you're not in that immediate situation watching the movie i was rolling on the floor laughing for m actual minutes when eileen brennan says to peter fogg oh i'm scared hold me and he goes i'm busy hold yourself i'm scared sam hold me on yourself i'm busy <laughs> like, i don't know why but this the way that he throws that out is just it's perfect and it just i mean i laughed for like five minutes straight <laughs> <laughs> okay as we said peter fogg is this seb spade kind of character and island brennan is, is his sidekick secretary and she just gets shit on the whole movie, the whole movie. So because it's like okay so it's like it's playing on that classic like She's the, right, you know, his gal Friday or whatever. His gal Friday. She's not the femme fatale. No. She's not the romantic lead. She's just the girl on the side that never gets noticed. Never gets noticed. And like, even when she tries to take her moments in the movie, like where she's like, he was my uncle. Everyone was like, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> or as Truman Capote said, wives, <laughs> I do not talk to wives. <laughs> Wow, that's Maggie Smith, bitch. It's Maggie Don't Smith. Care. Thank you. <laughs> so basically what's happened, all these detectives that are pastiches of famous literary detectives, Sam Spade, Hercule Poirot. Miss Marple. The Thin Man. Mm -hmm. Charlie Chan. And, did we miss somebody? The Thin Man. Oh, The Thin Man, right. Yeah. Right, right. Dick, Nick and Nora Charles. Mm-hmm. Are invited to this spooky old mansion in the middle of nowhere. 
for a promise of dinner and a murder. And they're challenged by the host. You know, after we go through this, all this crazy stuff, that tonight at the stroke of midnight, someone at this table is going to be murdered. They'll be stabbed in the back 12 times at the stroke of midnight. In all your various adventures, messieurs and madame, not one of you has ever had an unsolved murder. Your reputations exist on this single fact. But what would the world say if the five greatest living detectives found themselves trapped in a country house at the weekend, shut off from the outside world, only to discover a dead body on the floor stabbed 12 times in the back with a butcher's knife? And not one of you able to solve the crime. You mean murder? Dora, please, we're talking shop. Yes, murder, Mrs. Charleston. On the stroke of midnight, someone in this house is going to be viciously murdered. Left out one small detail, Mr. Twain. Who, victim? Is the, is the, who is the victim? That drives me crazy. Sounds like a short ride to me. Does it, Mr. Diamond? Well, we shall see who is sane and who is crazy around here. Mr. Wang, the victim is here at this very table at this very moment. And so, too, ladies and gentlemen, is the murderer. Murder poo? Yes, dear. We're going to have a lovely murder poo. <laughs> And I'm going to bet $1 million that the greatest detectives in all the world can't solve it or play all the audio that because Truman Capote will do it much better than I did. Oh, we did forget somebody from the cast. Who do we forget? Faye Ray as the doorbell. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ah, the doorbell. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yes, yes, as well. I love that they use that. I love that they use Faye Ray. It's just it's perfect. Yeah, specifically that scream, that iconic scream. From King Kong. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's like the doorbell is like, there's a bunch of little wacky moments throughout this that kick it from just being something that make, you know, making it um, feel like it fit, would fit right in with the genre that it's spoofing. And those little mm-hmm. wacky things are the things that kind of push it into the, the, the sphere that we know is poking fun at it. Right. Yeah. Right. Doorbell screams. That's hilarious. But the fact that there's a trap. Yeah. At the doorbell. It's hilarious. Every time somebody comes to the doorbell, a statue almost falls on them. It's a, it's one of the tests, one of the many tests of survival, because that, that always happens in these things. The fact that you see somebody coming out, cleaning up the statue in between each arrival is very funny. It's yes. very funny. And it's also a reference to 10 Little Indians. Oh, right. Because it was a bear statue that got dropped. So I three little Indians walking in a zoo. Big bear hugged one, then there were two. Have you ever been in that, that play? The play is not very good. It's not, right? But people love it. People eat up Agatha Christie. The movie's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The movie's brilliant. And we're, okay, we're off on a tangent now. The movie's brilliant, and I'm dying to see the BBC version that actually filmed the book version, because you can't actually do the book version. It would be very hard mm-hmm. to do that on stage or in a movie, because nobody survives. Right. There are 10 dead bodies, and nobody knows who did it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it would it'd be against the Hayes Code. Oh, of the time? Okay. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because, yeah, evil had to be punished and good always had to win. Right. So the- <gasps> Wow. <laughs> but we don't live in a fascist country. <laughs> well, that's long gone. That's long gone. That's yeah. long gone. That's long gone. That was the Catholic Church's influence. Most of my favorite physical bits involve Alec Guinness. Or the fact that you have this brilliant actor playing the goofiest role as his blind butler is so damn 
funny. Yeah. It's so damn funny. He, he does stupid bits. Like, he's like, I have to, pardon me, but I close the door and he closes it the wrong way. It's just so stupid. It shouldn't work, but it works. He makes all of it work. Just to, to see him like, oh, you'll be staying in Wang's wing. Was that Mr. Wang's car I noticed out front? Yes. They're resting now in their room. I have taken the liberty of putting you in the same wing as Mr. Wang. Oh, isn't that nice, darling? We're in Wang's wing. Yes. <laughs> it's a joke for five-year-olds. But that's like, I mean, those things I, I feel like are very specific Neil Simon things. Like a lot of the alliterative stuff, like repeated um, patterns of wordplay and so on well, and so forth. Well, he knows. I mean, there is, I, mean I, I, took, I, I took comedy class with Maggie, uh, Maggie I was going to say Maggie Smith, Maggie Reed. I wish. Who's a brilliant comedian. Mm-hmm. There's the language of comedy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is certain sounds are funny, and W is one of them. Like W's, S's, and K's. And nobody really knows why, but people always find those words funny. When you repeat a whole bunch of W's, it gets really funny. Yeah. This is something that is a, probably a deep cut notice. You see everybody coming to the house. You get to see them driving in their fabulous antique cars. Inspector Wang's car is the only one that has wood on the sides. You know what they called cars with woods on the, wood on the sides back in the day, right? No. They were called Woodies. Okay. Wang drives a Woody. Wang's Woody. <laughs> nobody else. Hit, nobody else has wood on their car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm gonna say that was. I'm gonna say that was deliberate. I hope so. I like. I feel like you can't. I feel like there's so much that happens in this that like all of these little details are so specifically deliberate, so that we can create like because you have to. Otherwise, it would just it it would just be another it would just be another murder mystery. You know. Yeah. I also love that like, everything, like all the paintings, with like, eyes peeking out and stuff like that. The holes and the tongues and like they're all of that stuff looking around. All classic stuff. And there's a there's a one part where they encounter the portrait of the dog, which not only has eyes but a tongue sticking out. I said, what intern <laughs> had to spend all day with their tongue through a piece of plywood? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> and the cow on the wall. Cow, the cow, cow I the love wall. that he called it a cow. It was just very, very funny to me. And I'm like, moose. I'm a moose. It's a moose. <laughs> Boys come from cow on wall. Moose. Moose, you imbecile. I also really love those types of Neil Simon jokes where it's like, it's someone says one thing that's really dumb and it's just someone else losing their temperature going, it's a this, it's a bird, it's a bird. Like there's... The, the pattern of it and the, the, the build of those types of exchanges in, uh, in Neil Simon pieces, I, I just, like, I don't know why, but they just tickle me. <laughs> I didn't pop my caniche. I didn't pop. I nibbled. <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar. It's on YouTube. Back in the day, HBO used to show taped productions of live plays. Mm-hmm. There's a version of Barefoot in the Park with Richard Thomas and Bess Armstrong that is brilliant. It's brilliant. And I love the whole cast. The whole cast is wonderful. And I always felt bad for the telephone operator who was only in like two scenes for like two minutes. I watched it last year. Guess who the telephone operator is? Who? James Cromwell. Oh, get out. Can we talk for a second about his um, his outfit <laughs> for when he's sleeping in the bed? Okay. 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 He looks hot. I'm sorry. He he's does. Got that, he's got a mesh T-shirt on. I'm like, what is that? Well, they're French. They're French. They're French. <laughs> they're they're French. Are, well, they're, they're, gonna no, ha- they're Belgian. They'll, they'll go to the house. They'll go to the house. We invented lingerie. I mean, he specifically corrects uh, Peter Falk at one time. I am not a Frenchie. I am a Belgie. Because I always forget this, but Poirot is Belgian. Which is also a line in Evil Under the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I want to hear. You have chocolate all over your face. You have, you have chocolate. chocolate all over you your face. You have chocolate on your face, right? The candy bar, it is all over your face. Indecile, that's my mustache. Look at and see. Sloppy. <sighs> Sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> You know they were doing it. You know they were doing well, that's it. Because totally I, do- I was like, come on. He's not laying in that bed, like, in the mesh underwear, like, by accident. What are you doing in my bed? I have no place else to sleep, monsieur. Sleep in the car, you chauffeur, you. Go, 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 go. Oh, you are unfair. I will tell everyone that you wear a toupee. They already know. Then why do you wear it? I didn't know that you knew. Certainly I know. A terrible toupee. Okay, this whole bit with the toupee, James Coco doesn't want... Marcel to find out that he wears a toupee. Why? Even though everybody else knows. Why is he so concerned about his servant? But it turns out that Marcel already knows it's a toupee. And not only does he know, he thinks it's a terrible toupee. And he's never said anything. Why? Because they both love each other. It's like the gift of the Magi. It's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and plus... Like, he's a servant. He's a servant. Servant wouldn't be eating at the table with everybody else. So he must be a special kind of servant. Okay, you know what? Uh-huh. You know what? That's how he that's why that's why he has that steel rib hip or whatever. <laughs> I mean, there has to it has to be implied. That's mm-hmm. to me it it doesn't feel like otherwise it wouldn't it, it it wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? For a movie where a lot of fri- quote unquote frivolous things are going on, there's it's pretty trim in terms of like the fat on the bone here. Well, you you have to do this stuff with laser precision. Otherwise, it's just a free-for-all. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a mess. It feels like cacophony, like airplane. It feels like cacophony, but that is done with laser precision. Yeah. Yes. People don't, like, this is the thing, like, when actors talk about, like, oh, comedy is harder to do than drama. Like, they, I think they're specifically talking about those types of things where it's, like, it's got to be precise. It's got yeah. to be specific. And it has to be... It has to be quick. And not everybody has that ability to do that. No, because it's not just about your intentions or your emotions or whatever acty thing you have to bring to the scene, but there's also timing, rhythm, tone. There's that language of comedy I was talking about. You have to know what words to hit, what syllables in the words to hit, and there's science and psychology and shit behind it. It's, it's very complicated. There's so many things you have to factor in that, that you either have it or you don't. Yes. And the thing you were saying was that, um, you know, it's a it's a character driven story. So if you don't if you're not a character, then there really isn't a place for you in it, you know. So, yeah, I, it's I, like, it's just walking away from it. I was like, God, this is really just it, this just should be held up as like a, a scene study in terms of like how to do comedy, because mm-hmm. everyone in, the, in it is doing amazing comedic work amazing work i think the this the scene where james Benzema is first meets the cook in the kitchen is brilliantly stupid brilliantly because stupid. he's blind and she's deaf mute yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> which it's such a bummer that all these scenes which are my favorite scenes of the movie with alec baldwin uh, alec baldwin alec guinness and the maid depend on visuals so i can't play the audio sorry i'm gonna take a sidebar i'm learning from my listeners and from a lot of other people that the younger folk don't like this movie. Oh, okay. It's offensive, 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 and not funny. All right. And Clue is better. Okay. So, I mean, I knew we were going to get to the Clue comparison eventually, but I mean. This movie walked so Clue could run. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To quote Maya Murphy from Demi Wonka Lewis. 
and that's I, my co-host. <laughs> she says wise things sometimes, and I write them down. I mean, I, she's absolutely right. Like this is. I don't think Clue would have happened if this hadn't happened because this was actually a, a, this was a hit. This was successful. This movie. This was a hit. Peter yeah. Sellers didn't think so though. <laughs> right. Peter Sellers didn't think the movie was funny at all, and he thought it was going to bomb. Yeah, they, I read that online as well. Oh, and by the way, by the way, just to tie, tie into another episode that you were on, Kristen, Peter Sellers was at this time married to Britt Eklund. Oh, really? From The Wicker Man. Yeah. That dude, man. I, wasn't there a TV movie about him and all of his, like, conquests? I don't and, know. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I know. feel like Jeffrey Rush played him in this TV movie. I can see that happening. I can right? see that happening. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I keep needing to go back and rewatch Being There because I saw it when I was a kid. I didn't get it. And I seem to remember that was like a really like poignant, unusual film for him. Like he was up for an Oscar for it. It was one of his last films. I think it was his last film. And I brought the conversation to a stop. No, no. because I mean, I've, I haven't heard of it, but uh, he's, I mean, because it wasn't his entire career mostly consumed by all of those Pink Panther movies and people were there was always. T- well, there was tons of them. Yeah. But he did other stuff as well. I mean, he did do Charlie Chan and the Curse and Dragon Queen, which was Michelle. I was going to say Buckman. That's not right. Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer. It was Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer's Pfeiffer. first movie role <laughs> before Grease 2. Huge box office bomb <laughs> on HBO 300 times a day. <laughs> yep. Always. You can always uh-huh. rely on HBO to have like some of the worst movies. I remember nothing except when somebody was taking drink orders and Michelle Pfeiffer was like, I'll have a Shirley Temple straight up. That's all I remember about the movie. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, okay. So the, the clue comparisons I think are inevitable. Mostly because it, it, I mean, there is a lot that is similar in that it's a murder mystery that is old dark house movie. Yeah, it's self-contained, um, and you know, it, it uh, has an absolutely stellar cast, which also includes Eileen Brennan. So there's some, you know, there's like a little bit of uh, connective tissue there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, and I, I love Clue. I absolutely. Oh, love I Clue. do. Uh, me too. Me too. Yeah. And I, I could understand why maybe people gravitate more towards that. That's the more well-known property. And, um, and it's newer and like 1976 is it in black and white. I mean, it's like, I mean, but like <laughs> the quality in film has definitely improved from 1976 to 1985, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So it's like just visually. And I do have to say there is watching it this time. There is a part you get to the point when you've seen murder by death a bunch of times, you get to the point where you go, I could stop it here. Mm. And that's when the solution is coming up because it just kind of the whole, which I get a lot of people complain that nothing in this movie makes sense. That that's the joke. Right. Is that, that me? He, Truman Capote brings it up. He's like, your books don't make sense. You've all been so clever for so long. You've forgotten to be humble. You've tricked and fooled your readers for years. You've tortured us all with surprise endings that made no sense. You've introduced characters in the last five pages that were never in the book before. You've withheld clues and information that made it impossible for us to guess who did it. But now the tables are turned. Millions of angry mystery readers are now getting their revenge. When the world learns I've outsmarted you, 
They'll be selling your $1.95 books for 12 cents. Yeah, like he introduced characters in the last five minutes to make it impossible to solve, and then that's exactly what they do. They, they set up this murder mystery that's impossible to solve because it's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. Because in addition to characters you've never met before, there's like these robot people, there's, there's the Scooby-Doo mask. You cannot possibly solve it. No, because, I mean, even at the end, once he has turned on them and addresses them directly as a writer who is speaking to characters that have been written, then once they all leave and he's alone in the cat, like the house, that's when we see the big reveal. Because in the first of several twists, you are led to believe that the butler did it. After all, that it's Alec Guinness is the murderer or one of the three characters will be playing as Alec Guinness during this reveal until all of a sudden, nope. No, my dear colleagues, what you all seem to overlook is the most simple and direct solution. That I am indeed Lionel Twain. <laughs> Alec Guinness pulls off a mask Scooby-Doo style and poof, he's Truman Capote. And then at the very end of the movie, after everybody leaves, Truman Capote's standing there. He pulls off yet another Scooby-Doo mask and it's Nancy Walker the cook. Which doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, doesn't make any sense. And so, like, you're sitting Nancy there going, Walker, Nancy Walker is this big. Alec Guinness is this big. Sherman Capote is this big. You can't confuse any of them for each other. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. Because it's one of those movies. No. Because that's how those books are. They don't make any sense. A lot of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you... <laughs> I feel like... Okay. So the, the, young, the young folk don't appreciate this because I just think they don't have the frame of reference. I too. And they, of course they're set by the Charlie Chan thing. They're set by the feminism thing because Eileen Brennan gets abused the whole movie. The wives are treated less than their detective husbands. But that's exactly what happened in those movies. They're spoofing what happened in those movies that that girl who always, the, the secretary always loved Sam Spade and he never noticed her. That's the joke. Yeah, absolutely. And the gay thing that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. Also for Sam Spade. Mm-hmm. Could it be that Mr. Twain discover your secret? I don't know what you're talking about. We know different, do we not, Miss Covington? Twain picked up Sam in a gay bar. I was working on a case. What? Every night for six months. I got 50 bucks a day in expenses. I hate them queries. Twain had Polaroid pictures of Sam in drag. I was in disguise. Lots of dames go in those joints. I never kissed nobody. And I never did nothing to a man that I wouldn't do to a woman. And I didn't kill Twain, bitch. Which you have to understand, like this was 1976. Mm -hmm. Sure, things were different then, but there's a weird portion of the 70s where gay liberation was taken off and was really crossing over. Like, things were coming together, like, in their own slow, weird way. Like, especially, like, if you look at Studio 54, it was everybody went there. Right. Gays, straights, and everybody got along. And he talked, like, uh, in, in the Scream Queen documentary that Mark Patton, my listeners know what I'm talking about, Mark Patton was the star of Nightmare on Elm Street Part right. 2. Right, yes, yes, yes. This documentary out about him, about how he was blackballed yes. in Hollywood for being gay. And, he said that, and uh, actually, Robert Englund was saying, who played Freddy Krueger, it's like there was a point where all of a sudden everybody was coming together and everything was great. And this whole union was happening and then AIDS hit. Yeah. And the death to disco thing, because it, apparently, which I didn't know, that the whole death to disco thing was because it was black music and gay music. I mean. That's what, peop that's what people didn't like it. Yeah. Anyway, so, but still, in 1976, 
If you were in any kind of position and you it was leaked that you were gay, you were done. You would kill to keep people from finding out that you were gay. Yes. And they keep dancing around. I still think it's funny. I think so. Sam, why do you keep those naked muscle man magazines in your office? Yeah. <laughs> Did I do right, Sam, telling them about the gay bar? Perfect, sweetheart. They took the bait like a dumb halibut. Let them think I'm a panty. Why they're busy suspecting me, one of them is going to let his pants down. Sam, why do you keep all those naked muscle men magazines in your office? Suspects. Always looking for suspects. 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 Always looking for suspects. <laughs> Lionel, Lionel Twain never brought up his name. His name. Sherman Capote's name is Lionel Twain. It's so stupid. <laughs> it is so and stupid. Lives, and he lives at Two Two Twain. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just remember watching this on TV with my parents, and we were all laughing. Yeah, I mean, they're just—it's just funny. It's just dumb. It's like I can't believe how stupid this is, but it's just. But smart, stupid. Yeah. Maybe it's not smart, stupid now. Maybe you wouldn't think of Tutu Twain. Because you don't know what a Tutu Twain or a line. They don't know what a Lionel Twain is. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. They, like, that's the thing is I'm just sort of like, I just don't think you guys get it. I just don't think you have the frame of reference to understand that this is, it's so specific. It's making fun of very specific things. And if you don't know what they are, then you're, you're never going to, like, find it You're funny. not going to get it. Yeah. Right. Because all you need to know about Clue is the board game. Yeah. Yeah. And even you don't even really have to know that because the board game characters don't actually have any characters. And those characters that you do get, they change over time. Like sometimes Miss Scarlet is like a ravenous blonde. Sometimes she's, when I, when I had clues, she was Asian. Yeah. Yeah. They change over time. So things like that. So Didn't they also do away with And then with the movie Mrs. happened White? and it was Leslie Ann Warren. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, this is Patch from the Future. According to Wikipedia, Mrs. White is still in the game. But she's a maid, as she's always been. But in the movie, she wasn't. She was a rich widow. So, you know. Yeah. And now all the versions of Clue look like Leslie Ann Warren and not the Asian girl that, that was in the 70s. You're right. There's like a fundamental difference in that it's just sort of like, okay, well, all of these people in this, in Murder by Death are, are spoofing very specific archetypes. And Clue is not that. Clue is everyone's allowed to show up. And I mean, these are, it's brilliant comic talent across the board, but everyone's just allowed to show up and be themselves. And it's, you know, or take whatever they're going to do with that character and make it themselves. And also the, the main difference that I see between the two movies, I said in this movie, the movie dies when the reveals start to happen, when people start solving the mystery. And like, even when everybody's trapped in their rooms and they're all going to get killed, it's not that great. Like you kind of lost the momentum at this point. Well, like, because they go to sleep, you know, which is just sort of like, <laughs> everyone's going to yeah. go to bed? Like, all right. Kirsten, can I say it? Can I say it? Oh, cool. They all have these deadly traps set in their bedrooms, and they're all equally non-plused. Yeah. Just. <laughs> <laughs> That's my word. That's our word. That's that our is word. our word. <laughs> That's our word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back. Thank you for good call. How was your first date with Patrick alone? Well, I was non-plused. I was non-plused. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in Clue, you've got Tim Curry, who is an energy overdrive, driving the whole last reel of that movie yes. in all three versions. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that keeps it alive. Yeah. We don't have that here. No. Yeah. The fact that they all go to sleep, which I mean, I also, 
is also kind of a spoof of what would happen in all of these stories. Like, cause they're all staying someplace and they would all break for dinner or break for a nap or break for tea or all that sort of exactly. shit. Just to use them, just to use the, and then there were none reference again. You've got 10 people on an Island. People are being knocked off one by one by one by one. And at no point is anybody frightened. No. When the butler gets killed, they're like, well, what are we supposed to do for luncheon? Fuck you, what do you want? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, that's and, your first concern? <laughs> and, the, and, they, and they make that reference in the movie, too, where like James Coco's like, what about our dinner? <laughs> and what has happened to the butler? Why has he not returned? Without dinner! All that stuff is great. All that stuff is great. I love the scene. There's some point. There's some point later on in the movie where like a bar cart comes out and you just see like James Coco like stuffing olives. <laughs> olives in. I mean, like, have you ever felt more seen though in that moment where you're like, I've done that. I've done that thing. Where like, oh, oh yeah. Whenever the bartender's not looking, you're stealing the maraschino cherries off the bar. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't afford to buy food. All I'm just gonna. All I can. All I can afford to do is drink. Give me this. <laughs> You have no bar snacks, and I, I, I'm really hungry right now. So I'm going to eat all the maraschino cherries when you're not looking. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Sloppy. Sloppy. You must be blind. Those were some of my most hilarious faces. Those were some of my funniest faces. So good. So good. Oh. All right. So, I, what else do? What else do we, can we say about this? I'm not sure. I just want to say I got a note before we start recording from listener Wendy C. Hi, Wendy. Wendy was very concerned that we were going to shit all over the movie because she said one of her other favorite podcasts hated the movie. And I say, Wendy, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> You're home right here on Screen Absolutely. We love this movie. We love it. Even though the last reel is a total snoozer, but it's not a snoozer the first time around. No, no. Yeah. Because I just got to say, Alec Guinness in the last reel of the film. Oh, my God. When James Coco comes in and says, I accuse you. Miss Eileen Twain, daughter of Lionel. What? I prefer to be called Rita. I prefer to be called Rita. Uh, so, so good. The hand. <laughs> because he it turns out he's not the butler, but whoever... The, this, the detectives are coming in one by one and accusing people. He will become whatever person that they're accusing. And all the people that they're accusing, by the way, are characters that have not been mentioned in the film at all whatsoever. So this is impossible for you as an audience member to solve. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And we've, we've set up that Lionel Twain has a daughter that was incredibly ugly. It is a statement of fact, Miss Twain. That as a man, you are barely passable. But as a woman, you are a dog. That's your opinion. Big boy. <laughs> Irene, who also went as Rita, and somebody's like, I accuse you! Irene Twain! And he's like, I prefer to be called Rita. And he tip, he like tips the fob of his hat by using one finger, just runs it along the rim of the hat from the left to the right, and somehow the hat just magically becomes his sunbonnet. I don't know how it happens. It's brilliant. Of all of the characters that he fulfills in that last reel, that's the most fleshed out one yes yeah because you're a big fat gay alligators <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was he was those who don't know alligators is a huge queen it's perfect it's so good yeah, Alec, 
Skeletons to turn into a drag queen for 30 seconds is just bliss. Yeah. David Niven searching for a bullet hole on him and finding something that's not a bullet hole, but they never tell you what it is and everybody assumes it's his asshole. You see anything? No, I don't see a bullet hole anywhere. Hold it. I see something. What is it? Don't forget it. My mistake. Not a bullet hole. <laughs> the fact that we're thinking about David Never and Favorite Malcolm's asshole right now. I mean, that's on someone's <laughs> that's on someone's bingo card. <laughs> 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 no, nobody in this movie can do any wrong. I no. love this movie. I mean, it's got its like I said, it's got its falls, it's got pacing problems towards the end, but overall, it's 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 great. What you missed when you did not watch the last scene? Oh yes, please tell me. Do you want me to? Do you want me to watch it real quick? Mm, yes. Yes. All right. Hold on. I'm gonna pour myself another drink. Go do it. Take a break, oh, ski. It's all water now, but that's okay. Hello, this is Flammy Gargoyle. Okay, what happens now is that. Patrick and Kristen went to go look at the scene together, but they never bothered to tell you what just happens in the scene. Okay, what happens in the scene is that the Charlie Chan and his son, they're driving away from the house, putty, 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 because that's how the car goes, putty, 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 and they run into another car coming towards the house. Oh, putty, 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 because that's how that car goes, too. Anyway, in the car, it's Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I almost said Emma Watson, but that's not right. But Dr. Watson is in the car, and he leans up. He's like, pardon me, because you know the way to 2220 over there. And they drive away, and, 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 and the son is like, hey, Pop, why didn't you tell them what they were in for? And he's like, let them find out for themselves, but I'm saying. So basically, the whole cycle is going to start again with a new bunch of literary assholes, blah, blah, blah. End of scene, end of stupid movie. I hate this movie, because not only does nobody poop in anybody's mouth, but they murder three innocent gargoyles in it. Because when the people ring at the doorbell, they drop a gargoyle on them every time. <laughs> I'm sorry, I need the moment. I need the moment. <laughs> I missed that scene. It's cute. I like it. It's cute. Is that this? It's the next round of literary assholes who <laughs> 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 never finished their cases. They didn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like um, it's like a, it's like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White in Into the Woods when they trap them out at the end. You you know that, you know they like you know the princes in uh, Into the Woods. Oh oh oh, oh yeah yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, they're those girls are clearly just swings and understudies, but they get to come out for like the one. <laughs> for that, those on. three seconds yeah. of fame. They're a visual joke. Oh. <laughs> you can make that joke because you were the witch. I can make that joke because I was a witch. Oh, so my greatest achievement. <laughs> no, I think this movie's great. I think it's fabulous. I think it's absolutely worth a watch. It's just it's a textbook. In a certain style of comedy. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, it's like we said, it's either you get it or you don't. Yeah. You're either awesome or you suck. <laughs> I mean, kinda. Like, Kristen, there are certain things that there are videos that I will show to people to test if we can be friends. Like, I'll send them, I played the auto for this, the Sorority Girls from Hell. Mm hmm. My listeners know what I'm talking about. I'll send it to you afterwards. <laughs> if they don't think it's funny, I'm like, we're not gonna be friends. You don't get this. Be like, we can't do this. If you don't get this movie, then I, uh, or I'm going to be straining to be friends with you. <laughs> and I, I mean, I get the problems with it, but it's of its time, and it is spoofing something specific that was in in and of itself 
racist, sexist, and homophobic. Yes. Because I'm sure Neil Simon, working in theater most of the time, really hated homosexuals. (laughs) (laughs) Not. I mean... Come on now. He was in theater, man. And plus the cast has got Alec Guinness, James Coco, and Truman Capote. And so you've got three gays bare minimum in this cast, and they are never the brunt of any of these jokes. I've just been rereading some of his plays and um, sort of getting... You know, that thing that you just said where it's like, it's very much of a time and his re- like his style and the way that he writes is very much of a time. Yeah. But I but there's I mean, I, I don't think people realize the influence that he had on on comedy in in, in writing in that way. Uh, because, like you mentioned Airplane earlier, I don't think those movies would exist if, if Neil Simon and the way that he writes hadn't existed because that's like the next gen of what it oh, was absolutely. like. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And not just Neil Simon, but like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, like a, a thousand other people who wrote classic comedy in this way at the time. And I'm sure everyone's like, oh, it's all improv now. And we just do like 35 takes and then we do it's different every time. Like, yeah, but you had to do 35 takes. Yeah. Like, to find something funny. There's something to be said for having it be this concise, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you trust the person who knows how to use the language and the rhythm of the language and the situation to milk every comic situation for everything that it's got. Or you just play it by ear. Yeah. Because anyone, anyone who's ever been to an improv show, you know, like, not everything lands. Not everything lands. Because that's the, my problem. Okay, this was always my problem with uh, whose line is it anyway. Uh-huh. They were never not funny. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm really, this is, as the kids would say, this is really sus. <laughs> this is really sus? I'm educating Kristen right now. Yeah. That's what the kids use for suspect right now. That's really suspicious. Oh. The fact that no, everybody's always funny all the time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And there's never a clunker. Yeah. Because that's also the fun of improv, to watch them fail. Yeah. And then try and like... And recover. Yeah. And, and try recover and rescue and come a back joke. Yeah. And yeah, and do all of that sort of well, stuff. Well, that didn't work, but I'm going to use that loss. And ah, there it is. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, you know, there's something about it that's very uh, 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 naked and bare bones about it. And uh, and you're watching the art form at work. So. Absolutely. I mean, I studied at UCB for a long time. And while I was there, it was really hard to go back to scripted material. Oh, Okay. All of a sudden, I felt really confined. Oh, my God. But then you realize you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just have to find, you just gotta have to find the joy in those words. That there's, there's something, there's magic in there. You just got to find it. Yeah. Yeah. And realize that not everything out of your mouth is a fucking gem. <laughs> <laughs> and if it is, maybe you should be a playwright. You know? So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, because that's the thing. Well, the other thing. Well, you, you, we have established on the last episode that you guys were on that you got neither one of you studied improv. One of the things about improv that I find fascinating is that you come off stage and you don't remember a fucking thing that you did. Yeah, because you're flying by adrenaline. Yeah, you're flying exactly. You're flying by adrenaline, and the whole rule of it of improv is don't think. Mm-hmm. Just do. Just keep talking. Mm-hmm. Yes, and don't think. And if you're not thinking. You're not remembering anything, and it's gone. And it, there is something, there is something magic about that effusive, gone in the ether sort of thing. But on the other hand, then there's the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm babbling right now because <laughs> I've had like three Manhattans. I'm loving this. I'm watching it progressively drunker, and I'm just like, this is beautiful. <laughs> and so anyway. <sighs> oh, we're, we're stripping now. <laughs> We've gotten to that portion of the program. Is your I mesh onesie you on the, underneath this? It's the long con, Kristen. <laughs> it's the long con, Kristen. I've been straight the whole time. <laughs> so romantic. It's WandaVision. <laughs> it's, did you watch WandaVision? No, no. but I've learned enough from memes. I've, it's all been spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched. I don't have either. Disney Plus. I'm poor. I have my I have my channels that I can afford, and that's it. I can't. I'm, and also, I just said I can't, I'm not going to add any more channels because I don't need to watch any more TV. Kristen, I think we're done. <laughs> I think we've done murder by death as I much as we can it. do because we can sit here and have a quote off all day, and that's not what I wanted to do. We talked about the issues. We talked about the performance. And I think I think we've got it. Yeah, I'm not so. gonna not release this one like I've done with the. Other. Yay! I made the cut. I did you it. You made the cut, and you know why? It's because Dan wasn't. Here. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him he said that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no, no, I no know that I love you both, and I love the chemistry that you have. Mm, thank you. I'm very sad that he couldn't be here, but it's also nice to have you all to myself. Yes, Otherwise, I, I, w- I wouldn't have dressed up like this for Dan. I love this one-on-one, this one-on-one session. It's very flirtatious. Look at this face I'm making right now. How sexy <laughs> is this face? <laughs> so sexy. There, nothing sexier than when you smush your nose into a microphone. Like it's like it's a like it's like it's a. Like I'm eating you out, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> like David Niven on Alec Guinness's butthole. <laughs> so, Kristen, please remind everybody where they can find Killing Your Darlings. Okay, well. And what's coming up next? Uh, well, we have another episode coming out at the end of the month. Uh, my friend Kate uh, has been kind enough to join me for a Karate Kid arc on the show so uh tell you i never watched the karate kids yeah it's okay i mean it's i was in high school and ralph macchio was just not cool yeah he's he's he looks like okay in the first one he looks too much like a little kid for me he looks very young Uh, he grows up a little bit in the second one and by the third one i'm like i can't what is this movie even so we just watched the third one and then we're going to jump into doing uh cobra kai so um Karate Kid Part 3 is coming out at the end of the month. So in other words, I'm not going to listen to your show for like six months. My, I mean, <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to try and alternate it so that way we've got one on, one off. So for those who are not into okay. the Karate Kid, won't be, you know, won't okay. be bored. Well, if you're looking for something, I got young Sherlock Holmes for you right here. I, my sister loved that movie too. Yeah, that was her movie. You got to introduce me to your sister so I can be not gay with her too. <laughs> Kristen Petty, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you for joining me for this very special episode of Scream Queens. And I just gotta say, you're tacky. <laughs> really tacky. I don't understand, Pop. Was there a murder or wasn't there? Yes. Killed good weekend. Drive free. <laughs> All right.
right, that was fun and long overdue. So thank you to Kristen Petty for coming on and playing with me. It was a pleasure to have you. And if you enjoyed Kristen, be sure to check out Killing Your Darlings. Since this was recorded back in March, they are now done with their Karate Kid oeuvre shows. And this month they're covering The Last Unicorn. So if you want to cry your eyes out with Kristen and Dan, Dan and Kristen, go do that over at Killing Your Darlings. And if the Karate Kid and The Last Unicorn don't appeal to you, check out the episodes I did on Killing Your Darlings, where I talk about the unending childhood trauma of Snoopy Come Home, as well as the future serial killer that's hiding in Peanutsville, and the secret gay agenda of the 1974 original version of Freaky Friday. So, like I said, things are very different on March 17th than they were on March 16th when we recorded this episode. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this issue. And going back to what Kristen and I were saying during the episode, there are rules to comedy. There's the language of comedy, there's the rule of threes, there's timing, and all these, those things that we're talking about. But also, one of the major rules of comedy is, if you have to explain the joke, it's not a joke. It doesn't work. So the fact that Kristen and I had to explain, oh, well, back in the day in the Charlie Chan movies, Charlie Chan was always played by a white guy, and they are using that as a joke in the movie— Maybe it was funny then. It's not funny now. Peter Falk casually calls Peter Sellers slanty, which would not have been shocking at the time because we were in the All in the Family era, where Archie Bunker would be tossing out words like that all the time. But by the end of the episode, he'd always learned a valuable lesson. So we were more accustomed to hearing them then. But again, we're explaining. While it is important to know that these jokes have context and were funny at the time, they're not so funny now. They're hurtful now. They were hurtful then. They were always hurtful. And Peter Falk doesn't learn a valuable lesson about cultural acceptance and racial equality by the end of the movie. So there's no lesson like in an All in the Family episode. And and I do have to make a correction to something I said during the episode. I said that in the 70s, they brought Charlie Chan back for a TV series that got canceled. I was completely wrong. They tried to bring it back. There was a TV movie that was supposed to be a pilot, but they faced so much backlash because they cast another Caucasian in the role of Charlie Chan that it never got green. There was the pilot episode, uh, the pilot movie, and then it just died where it was. So this issue is not new, and it was on the table at the time. So I really had to think that they knew what they were doing. But again, I'm explaining, I'm, I'm, I'm excusing what they did. They had a message they wanted to say that was relevant at the time, and it's not so relevant now, and it's actually gone the other way. So take, take everything you see. I'm not one, okay, I've never been one for censorship or canceling. I always want to learn what what I always want to see what can be learned from a movie or a TV show or whatever that has something culturally now shocking or destructive in it. Coming from a racist household, I'm always checking my privilege and it's an everyday thing that I'm always catching myself. Okay, maybe you have to rethink some things and like I will recognize, oh hey, there's racism rearing its ugly head in a way you didn't realize. And it just I take movies like this on occasion to check in. And I invite you to do likewise. And take the things that you find offensive in any piece of art, be it movie, be it song, be it poem, be it whatever, as an opportunity to have a discussion with somebody else about it, have a conversation about it, to talk things out. Learn something about context. Learn something about yourself and learn something about how these things have lasting effect and they hurt. Learn from other people's mistakes, start a conversation, start a discussion, and hopefully come out a better person. I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to one of my affiliate partners in crime, and I'm talking about Squadcast FM. 
Squadcast provides remote recordings for professional podcasters, and they are lifesavers. Now, I forget if I talked about it on this show or one of the other shows on Patreon, but I had that huge external hard drive failure where I lost everything from the show. Had I not used Squadcast, my session with Kristen would have been gone, 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 gone. We would have had to record it, the whole thing, and let's just say the magic would be lost. But no, Squadcast saves everything that I record. Everything automatically gets backed up, so it's always there if I need it. And this was a lifesaver for this episode. If, if we, you know, let's just say there's been so much going on, this episode might not have happened again. The murder by death curse would have continued. But no, it ended. And I'm going to thank Squadcast FM and Kristen Petty for that. So if you're tired of having so-so sound on your remote recordings of your podcaster, just stop it. Just stop it. Check out Squadcast for free for seven days. And you can do that by going to www.screenqueens.com slash Squadcast. If this is your first time listening to Scream Queens, I hope you had a fabulous time. And if you did, please follow the show on your favorite podcatcher and share it with a friend. And if you didn't like it, share it with an enemy. And if you haven't done so already, do check out the brand new website at www.screamqueens.com. And of course, that's Queens with a C. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Facebook at Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. You do a search on that. I'm at Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you want to score some sweet Scream Queens merchandise, you can go to www.screamqueens.com slash store. That's screamqueens.com slash store. We can get t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, tank tops, phone cases, pillows, stickers, magnets, you name it. We got it over there with the Scream Queens logo. Or you can support an independent artist by picking one of the curated designs that fit the Scream Queens aesthetic that I've picked from the T Public Library. All fitting our aesthetic of a little bit flirty, a little bit naughty, a little bit creepy, and a whole lot of cats. Once again, that's www.screamqueens.com slash store. And if you want to join the ranks of the Super Screamers, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash screamqueens. When you become a patron, you're helping support the show, and you also unlock premium access content, such as The Final Reel, where I talk about the movies that I've been watching that I'm not going to talk about in the show anytime soon, which include new releases in the movie theater. And... Damn you, Wonka Lewis, which is our Friday the 13th, the series retrospective podcast, patreon.com slash scream queens. And please make my birthday extra special by making a donation to Backpacks for the Street. You can do that by going to www.screamqueens.com slash backpack, which will redirect you to their donation page. Or if you want to use my Facebook donation page, you can go to screamqueens.com slash backpacks FB. Please help them out. They do wonderful work and you'll be making the world a more fabulous place. If your head is about to explode from all the links I just threw at you in the past couple of minutes, then fear not, fear not. They're all right down there in the show notes. They're right there, so please use them. I just had a guest cancel on me this morning, so right now I have no idea what we're doing for the next episode. It's all up in the air. Wee, wee, free for all. So anything can happen, and it usually does, but you know what? Coming up right after that, it's Pride Month. And I'm going to be joined by some fabulous people. We're going to be talking about that bizarre 80s slasher, butcher, baker, nightmare maker, and also Big Queen Kevin Williamson's alien invasion opus, The Faculty. World famous actor Dan Dominguez is going to be here. Matt Knife is going to be back. I'm lining up a couple more people, and it's going to be a great Pride Month. Whoop -de -doop -de -doop. And there might even be some bonus episodes. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place by following the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight, survive the night, make it to the final reel, wear a fucking mask, wash your fucking hands, keep your fucking distance, get the fucking vaccine, and stay fucking fabulous. Bye, I love you.
music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.